Welcome to 20 Not Something, the podcast for 20-somethings who haven't quite figured out what their something is yet. Each week, I'll be speaking to a different guest about their experiences of this messy decade to reassure you that everything turns out all right in the end. Because doing something in your 20s can actually mean doing anything that makes you happy. Hello everyone and welcome back to this very special mini-series called Are We Nearly Where Yet? So I'm treating this as a smaller season which is hopefully going to tide us over to the new year. Um, similar sort of formats what we're usually used to but we're going to hone in on this idea of destination diction and identifying just what the where's and the there's actually mean in our 20s. So yeah we've got some really amazing guests lined up for you for this mini-series as well. Um, I really hope you guys love it and if you do love it then you could always leave us a review on itunes <laughs> i thought i'd slip that one in there um or you could check us out on instagram at 20 not something as well we loved hearing all of your thoughts on the last season so yeah feel free to get in touch um but quite enough rambling from me so let's get into it and i hope you enjoy the episode this week i am joined by journalist presenter podcaster and all-round icon josh smith <laughs> <laughs> I know what you're all thinking. How does one go about interviewing the ultimate interviewer? It's pretty apparent that the best interview with Josh would probably be one he hosted himself. Sadly, we don't have that luxury today. So it's going to be me who'll be taking the reins on this one. Growing up in Cambridgeshire, Josh never really felt like he fitted in. He suffered with social anxiety, OCD, and felt that he lacked a sense of identity in his tiny suburban village. It was actually when Josh moved to London in his early 20s that he really started to discover who he was. Able to finally explore his sexuality, he was inundated with freedom and opportunity this city gave him, soaking up the parties, people, and places. With an initial dream of conquering the fashion journalist world, Josh encountered exciting opportunities and multiple rejections before landing a job at Glamour UK, where he is now a contributing editor. Throughout the decade, Josh has gone on to interview some of the biggest stars in the world, from Kylie Jenner and Reese Witherspoon to Victoria Beckham and Oprah Winfrey. A hugely successful journalist and interviewer, he creates a safe space for his guests to open up while balancing hilarious anecdotes with deeper philosophical and personal conversations surrounding mental health, empowerment and step into your true authentic self. In a society so consumed with speaking out and turning up the volume, Josh reminds us all of the importance of listening and how it really can be our greatest superpower. Josh is also an ambassador for children's mental health charity Place to Be and host of the Rain with Josh Smith podcast, which is just as uplifting, unfiltered and utterly addictive as he is. Josh, it is such an honour to have you on the podcast today. Thank you for making it rain with positivity and power always. Welcome to 20 Not Something. I am dying at that intro. Oh my God. Babe, can you just introduce me when I go into any room from now on? And then like maybe with like wind machines, smoke machines. Like it's that was that was amazing. You're amazing. Honestly, oh I wouldn't it wouldn't have sounded so good if you weren't so great. So thank you so much for being oh, here. No. Oh my god, thank you for having me. I'm so excited to talk to you. And yeah, that <laughs> I'm literally beaming after that intro. I was like, wow. Like, yeah. <laughs> Does Loren like it as well? Yeah, she, <laughs> she's she's currently just staring out the window trying to find a squirrel or some unsuspecting runner or random neighbour to bark at because she's very territorial at the moment. She's so freaking yeah, cute. She, you, did you love the intro? Yeah, she loved the intro. Yeah, she loved okay. it. <laughs> For those of you who can't see, Josh's adorable little dog is sat on his lap right now and it's really giving me all kind of feels. So just for yeah, the listeners. She, she's literally like the dog version of a teddy bear. So. <laughs> Amazing. Well, thanks so much for being here. And so as part of this little mini series, it's called Are We Nearly Where Yet? And we're sort of centering around this idea that so often we place value on the there's in life you know where we're going what we want mm -hmm. um the ideal relationship that we want or the future goal career or aspiration and while those are all very well and good to have we still need to sort of find happiness and content in our present and so with that in mind i kind of wanted to kick things off by asking you when you were looking into your 20s um did you have any idea of where you wanted to be by the end what did that look like to you oh my god I do you know what this is it's interesting we're actually having this conversation right now because I'm at a, I'm at a very not a strange place but a place I don't think I ever thought I'd ever get to so I'm now 32 
and I'm buying a house with a boy, which is something I never expected to be ever. And I think recently I've been really, not that getting into a relationship or buying a house with a boy is the be all and end all, because it definitely isn't. But like um, being, being an empowered person in your own right is. But it's, it's been a weird time when I've looked back at my life and thought, wow, I never thought I'd ever get to this level of personal development in order to be able to be the kind of person to be in a positive relationship, to be with someone who empowers me, I empower them, and to have a teammate. Because throughout my whole 20s, I just never thought that was possible. And also, if you spoke to me when I first came out, I came out when I was like 14 years old at school, so very young. Never thought that was possible. I never thought I was going to have... I don't like the word a normal life, but, you know, like a... Conventional. A a conventional, proper relationship. Mm. Like, I'm surrounded by boxes right now when we're talking about this. I'm like, I brought this flat on my own in my late 20s. And again, that was something I never thought I'd be able to do. And that any help from anyone else and seeing it packed up around me today, which is one of the last things I did in my 20s was move into this flat. It was literally four days before I turned 30. And I'm just like, whoa. And I'm seeing my life just all packed up around me. Like, (laughs) did I ever thought I'd get to this point? No. And Mm. did I ever have, did I have ambitions and dreams and things I wanted to get to by the age of 30? Yes. But did I think I was going to get there at some points? Definitely not. And I mean, Mm. he was saying in the introduction about how I was working in fashion journalism and I was a stylist, like quite about thought I wanted to be like, fashion director and I really wanted to like work my way up in the fashion department at these different magazines that I worked at and I had some pretty amazing roles like as junior fashion editor at Grazia which felt like a huge thing for me I was then like the style editor at like InStyle magazine before that closed and, and I was like wow these are really amazing jobs but I never really had a very um vertical path to where I've got to Mm. it's always been like side steps it's been ups it's been downs it's been like if it was a graph it would be like all over the place and you'd be like where is this person going so a roundabout way of answering that question is no I had no idea that I had this linear path to get to where I am today Mm. and am I glad that I didn't have the linear path absolutely because Mm. along that way I've learned so much stuff about myself and like you know everyone knows this you learn more about yourself in the down moments than you do the positive moments, right? I feel like that anyway. Yeah, for so, sure. Yeah, it's been a real journey, those 20s. And actually, yeah. when I was like, so do you the notes beforehand and I was delving back into it. There's so many things that happened to me in my 20s that have informed me in my 30s. But the one thing that I've learned more than anything is, and I was thinking this today, like I was late to get onto this podcast call. I was chasing my dog around to in common and she wasn't coming back when I needed her to. Like, I haven't, this is really gross, but like, I haven't got up and showered yet today or done any of the normal things you meant to do as a functioning adult. And I thought to myself, would I get to this age and think I have my shit together? Absolutely. Do I have it together? No. Is that a problem? No, it's not. Because then you realize that no one has their shit together at any other stage of their life. Like I was interviewing Gabrielle Union the other day. And she's almost 50. And we were talking about it. She's like, babe, I still don't have my stuff together. And I'm like a mother and like like I have all these things going on in my life and I still don't have it together so did I think I'd get to the end of my 20s and think I'd have it a bit more together absolutely do I no I don't but that's the beauty of life right it's messy it's always messy and I think we all have this perception that one day we're gonna have it all figured out and you just, I don't think you ever, I really do. I mean, I don't know. We'll find out when we're all 80 and sat in our, I always have this really weird thing where I think about our generation being really old and like what we're going to oh, be wearing so and just like, are we still going to be gramming? Like, and what are we going to be listening to? In the care to? Like, homes? I don't know. <laughs> you know how old people listen to like, like classical music. Are we going to be listening to like, <laughs> the <Drake. retro> class, <laughs> you're like Jeanne Paul from when we first went out <laughs> clubbing and like Timberland Timberland that's a throwback I was thinking about it the other day it's like oh my god we listen to that stuff like am I going to be male people saying still still a Spice Boy listening to Spice Girls and like like dropping at the canteen probably <laughs> yeah start dropping at the canteen slamming to the left of my Zimmer frame and shaking it to the right into nap time absolutely I hope so anyway <laughs> 
one of the things that you said in um uh one of your interviews recently which really stood out to me and it was that you said 99 percent of the things i do now are for the younger josh um oh, and i just i loved that i love that so much because you were so honest in your um in your note to me about how you really suffered with ocd and anxiety and what do you think that um it's like going through all that in in your adolescence how did that impact your 20s and why do you continue to fight for this like younger josh um because younger josh didn't have the vocabulary to talk about how he was feeling i'm saying like he like a third person tense so like (laughs) it was me and i it's weird because i think recently i've started i used to put that kind of younger me into a box that one who was really struggling and I was like that's not me anymore and I think throughout my 20s I tried to push that Josh away and be like you know we're over this chapter and then there's still times in my life where these thoughts these feelings these intrusive thoughts that I had through my adolescence come back and but now I have the tools to talk about it I know how to talk about it. I don't feel the shame around talking about it. And to be honest, like anyone who's listening to this who was growing up in the late 90s, early noughties, like no one talked about mental health. Like I had such bad anxiety, and such bad OCD to the extent that I used to wash my hands until they were literally like red raw. Like it was so bad. And my mum didn't know how to deal with it. My dad didn't know how to deal with it. And that's not their fault. It's because we didn't have the vocabulary to talk about it. No one talked about OCD, especially growing up in the middle of nowhere. And like, you know, Mm. you just didn't talk about your feelings or we talked about your feelings, but you didn't talk about the deeper rooted issues. And I remember my mum once took away the soap and I literally, I don't think I've ever come so close to literally having an out body breakdown experience as that moment. And it's, that was really tough. And, the, and as I get older, I realized that the reason why I acted like that, the reason why I had to touch things a certain amount of times, the reason why I washed my hands to such a bad extent, because I was in this fear of germs, I lived my life fearing that I was going to die. So every day when I woke up, I was like, oh my God, I'm alive. Like, literally, that's how bad it was. And I think that that doesn't ever leave you and I thought that it would leave me but there's times when I feel very anxious where I find myself starting to like tap things again or having these intrusive thoughts I'm like you need to touch that or something really bad's gonna happen or you know it'd be something silly like <laughs> podcast is gonna flop unless you literally turn that plug off that's over in the corner of that was a massive thing for me and <laughs> in like my late 20s was to turn off every plug if I saw it was on without a plug inside of it oh and it got God. me into these really funny scrapes where I would be like in Starbucks and someone would be sat near a plug obviously I didn't know them and it would <laughs> it would be on but there was no plug in it and I used to like do things like drop a drop a coin and roll it over so I could be like oh my god and then just turn it open at the same time wow. and I don't know but it's like I realized that the reason why I did all those things, I've done all those things different times in my life is because I didn't feel like I had control. Like when I was growing up, I didn't have any control over who I was. I didn't like who I was. I didn't feel accepted for who I was, not by my family, but by wider society. And that's really Mm -hmm. difficult. And the reason why going back to your question that I do it for younger Josh or just me, because I am still that person is because I felt really alone. And any conversation that makes someone feel less alone is a valuable one, right? Like, I don't really care if the podcast got 10 listens, but if there, if there was one person who listened to a conversation, be it about anxiety, be it about body image, we talk about so many different things in the podcast and my wider interviews and the stuff I've done before the podcast. And I've seen that though. I get messages from girls and guys saying, you know, this conversation has really changed me and it's helped me so much. That's what it's about because mm. I was that person. I was that person struggling myself and I still am that person who struggles mm. myself. And I still hear things that help me and save me in different ways. So that's mm. why I always do it. That's why I'm always thinking about that younger person because I needed it. I needed role models like the role models we have today who talk about their feelings and are open and honest about themselves and mm. the struggles they go through because 
when I was growing up, you didn't hear that. No one struggled. And I always remember this thing about Catherine Zeta. I know it sounds so random, but I remember Catherine Zeta Jones came out and said that she had bipolar. And she was one of the first people to really talk about mental health and especially a condition that many people were, there was a lot of shame around talking around it. And then you saw her career really dip after that. And I was like, oh my God, that was so powerful that she opened up about that before anyone else. And now we're in a situation where celebrities are applauded for talking about their feelings and because it helps people, right? Like having an open honest conversation makes someone feel less alone. And if I can do that for someone else, then amazing because I needed that when I was younger. Mm. That's a very long answer and apologies. No, no, no. that has even really helped me because I also have OCD and I cannot tell you how comforting it is to hear you say, I do the plug thing as well. Every night before I go to bed, I have to turn the kettle and the toaster off at the plug because I'm I'm scared and I can't leave the house unless I've checked like everything seven times and then I'll leave and convince myself that I haven't and I have to go back and do it again. And like, you don't realise that how powerful that is that this is why I love your podcast because you do open up about these issues and and that makes the person listening just feel so much more comforted by the fact they're not alone Mm. you know and I think also the thing about OCD is is that I think it's got this really big like buzz term now Mm. where everyone's like oh I've got OCD about this and I'm like it's a bit like the conversation around anxiety right and I feel that like so many people suffer from anxiety, but there's a difference between having anxiety and there's having anxious moments. And there's a yes. difference about being OCD about something and suffering from OCD. Yeah. And it's, it's tough. And I think that if we interrogate the meanings of it and different people's relationships with it, I mean, no one's judging anyone, right? Like that's yeah. the thing. And I think that's what we need is to, like, cause you were saying about the plugs. I used to have, this is actually like, I can't even believe I'm making this, but I used to have this chant that I had to say in my head nine times before I went to bed. Otherwise I thought I was literally going to die. Like, and I did that for about five years of my life. And it's only from me having to like have a better relationship myself that I've stopped having those kind of conversations and having to do these things. I mean, sometimes it creeps back and I'll be like halfway down the road and I'll be like, Oh my God, you've definitely left the oven on and it's going to burn the house. It's going to burn to the ground. And I've actually had to come back from literally being at my friend's house before because I've definitely left it on and I've come back and it's obviously not on. Obviously not, but, yeah. Yeah, obviously not on. And I think that I don't have it as bad as I used to, 1,000%, but it still affects me and it still mm. comes into my life when I least expect it or when I'm feeling nervous or anxious. And mm. I think it's important, like you were saying, that we talk about it, right? For sure. Yeah, for sure. So let's talk about your move to London then. You always talk about (laughs) sort of stepping into your power and finding your authentic self. And I could even tell in the note you sent me when you were like, I moved to London and I just discovered it. So talk me through that. Talk me about the house you moved into. What was was going on? Oh my God. So I went to university in Warwick and this is no disrespect to Warwick, but it just (laughs) wasn't my place. And I loved it in parts, but I felt like I always needed to live in London. Like even when I was like, I remember my mom came with this book when I was like four years old. And it was like a late, like, do you ever remember those ladybird books? Yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. And it was like a ladybird book of London. It was like my favorite book. And I used to look at it all the time. And I used to tell everyone when I was four years old, that I was going to move to London one day. And then I finally did it when I was 21. And I was, I literally thought I was the shit when I moved to London. I was so overexcited. And I moved into this <laughs> this house share and on my very first day I met this girl called Gemma and she then basically became my surrogate big sister and we we went through she was she was about how old is Gemma she's like five years, I'm not gonna but she's like five she's a solid <laughs> five years older than me and she kind of took me under our wing. She took me out. We saw the sights, the sounds, and different sights and sounds to the ones you got in the Ladybird book. I can tell you that for free. <laughs> um, and it was amazing. So I basically met this big sister. And and we I've talked to her about this to her face, so she knows. But if she ever listens to this, she will then know. She really changed my life in a way because Aww. she made me feel really comfortable in myself. And she really showed me um the way and my friend Rob was living down the road I met at uni and he was always round and we used to go to like JY heaven and then we obviously were so broke that we had to get like a night bus home and the night bus I'm telling you right now the night bus from central London 
to West King Park takes a solid hour and a half. And the amount of times we woke up in the in the depot and <laughs> we're like, oh my God, what are we doing for lives? But it was just, we were just so carefree. We, mm. I literally like, every time I used my card, I was never sure if I was going to have any money. Like I just didn't never look to my bank balance because I couldn't bear, bring myself to do it. And we were really living our lives through the um, seat of our pants, really, mm. especially in terms of finances. And <laughs> Do you think you ever grow out of that? Because I think that that's so... Yeah, good. Okay, cool. (laughs) No, I've never grown out of having my boyfriend Dom. Um, Literally, I think it's one of the things he minds. I can't talk about money. It freaks me out because I'm so used to being that like poor intern that never had any money, was earning minimum wage. Even like when I went to go buy like a meal deal from Sainsbury's or Boots at the time, that's literally what I lived off of my lunch. And I would be like, oh, I don't think I'm going to be able to afford this three pound. I don't think it's going to go through. And like, <laughs> like that's how bad it was. So I've got this irrational fear of ever looking at my bank balance. So if I have to sit down and do anything around finances, I have to be forced to do it. And it's the biggest song and dance you've ever seen. I'm like, I don't know. You never get over that. And I don't think you ever get over just, no, you definitely don't. I wish that that's one of the things about adulting when everyone talks about that much fabled term of adulting i'm like if i could learn to adult it'd be learned to be like good about my finances but yeah it's just it's just never gonna happen so no mm. there's never gonna be any responsibility for my finances <laughs> i don't think that's such a bad thing i mean there's a balance isn't there i'm exactly the same it freaks me out and i also feel like that no one ever teaches you how to deal with that shit like we learn pythagoras theorem but we don't learn anything about like what the hell is a mortgage i don't know who i'm paying oh, what i'm borrowing from hey, and, you know, that's honestly so long and boring <laughs> yeah. and also then when you get involved in it like getting a mortgage you're like this is horrible 100%, 100%. why are there so many forms <laughs> <laughs> but you mentioned there your friend Gemma and one thing yes. that I have really found to be true in my 20s is the strength of female friendship and oh my god yeah just how valuable that is how, what was your experience of that uh, I mean women have given me every single opportunity I've ever had in my life and so you know I was born out of a woman <laughs> my mama Smith I like was nurtured by women. Obviously my dad was a massive part of my life as well. And it still is. He's incredible, but I've always been so drawn to female energy. I don't know what it is. Like my grandmother was incredible. My auntie Mary was incredible. And I think I've just taken that energy throughout my life really. And I've always been like attracted to female energy and, Mm. and the relationships with women in my life have been the most powerful things. Like in my career, I, I would not be here if it was not for um, some incredible women who have given me um, incredible positions, given me really big breaks, supported me. And when it comes to friendships, on, honestly, female friendships saved my life in multiple times. Like my best friend, Ellie, she's been, she's like a sister to me. My best friend, my other best friend, Caroline is like, I'm going to go through and be like, my best friend, best friend, best friend. <laughs> but I'm just so lucky to have these incredible women around me that inspire me, that are like boss ass bitches that get their shit done. Mm. That like, I honestly, they are like my sisters. And that's when I moved to, when <laughs> me and Gemma then moved out that my bedroom house, and we moved into this house. It was me and, um, five lesbians and we just had the best time and that was like the ultimate boss ass female energy living in that house and like Mm. Erin and Georgia I'm now like the godparent to their daughter Imogen and like they're just they are like my family like Mm. they're always there for me I'm always there for them and female female friendships like I was saying has changed my life it's Mm. everything to me it's the most important thing in my life actually and I think that's why I'm so uh, always talking about women's rights and women's issues because I believe there's not enough men standing up for the women in my life. There isn't. So mm-hmm. that's why I'm so passionate about it. And that's why I'm always turning up for women because like I was saying, they gave me every between in my life and they've saved me at really dark times in my life. And I've been really struggling as well. So it's the least, least I can do is, you know, try and 
raise light where you can, right? For sure, yeah. I'm quite, uh, I say new to the dating scene, not really, like eight months or so. And um, one of the biggest red flags for me is when I go on a date with a guy and I ask him about his friends. And if he doesn't Mm. have any female friends which aren't his mate's girlfriends or his sister's friends, or like if he doesn't actually actively have female friends who he has met and enjoyed the company of and then engages with, it's a massive red flag for me. If I met a boy and he didn't have female friends, I'd be like, this is never going to work out, babe. <laughs> <laughs> Luckily, my boyfriend Tom has tons of female friends. But yeah, I think, I just don't know what it is. I think there's always been this huge solidarity between women and gay men, especially. Mm. I think it's because, maybe it's because we all know what it's like to be marginalised at different times in our lives. I mean, it's, it's hard for me to say because I am a man, so I still am a man, but like, I, I know what it's like to be marginalized and, and othered and have your rights discussed and debated. So, and I think we've all, I think female allyship has been such a huge part of my life. So I always think let's be allies back, right? Mm-hmm. I love that. I love that. Yeah. <laughs> Did you find that coming out, I mean, I know you said you came out when you were 14, but you talk about stepping into your power and really feeling like you're owning who you are. Do you think that coming out helped in that process? And and is it is it an evolving thing? Like throughout your 20s, did you find that you were becoming more and more yourself? Oh my God, 100%. Like I always say that coming out is an ongoing process. It's not, it's not like you come out and you're like, I'm done. <laughs> a bit like how Checklist. we say you're not like a fully fledged adult. <laughs> I am an adult tick tick boom let's move on um no it's an ongoing process and I there was this amazing piece of advice that um well it's not advice but something that Ariane DeBose who is in The Prom and it's about to be in West Side Story she said to me that she when I was interviewing her and we're talking about coming out she said every single day she feels like she's coming out in a different way and I was like oh my god what do you mean by that she'd be like well I'm always coming out to someone like I'll meet someone in the street and they might question my sexuality or I might be in a certain situation. I might be with my girlfriend or partner or whoever I'm dating and they, and you will see a different reaction from certain people, or it might just be like, I'm coming out and I'm being proud of myself in a new way today, or I'm stepping into my power in a new way today. And I really think that's true. There's times I didn't just come out and then just not feel shame to myself ever again, or feel shame for being gay. That's, something that's I think stays with you again like we were saying about the youngest child how some aspects of that stay with you mm-hmm. I I think that coming out I don't think that I truly felt comfortable in my sexuality and my identity until at least in my mid-20s and I think that's I don't know why that is or I can try and decipher why that is I felt very accepted by my friendship group and I found my friends. I found my people. I feel like as I've gone through my life, I've found more of my people because you know more about yourself, right? You understand yourself more. So I'm not always one of those people who's actually like day one friends are the, are the main people who know who you are. I think you can meet someone say in, I've met fr- some of my best friends in the last two years because I know who I am. I know my boundaries. I know well, I don't actually know my boundaries. But <laughs> yeah, let's were... talk about boundaries. Where, where? Because I think that's such a massive thing when it comes to friendships, and that I still battle with it. I think a lot of people do. Do you think that you have now at least more of an awareness now that you're in your thirties of those friendship boundaries than you did? Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I am the biggest people pleaser, and I think this comes from the shame when you feel like when you grow up feeling like you are not welcome in a society or you need to change to adapt I always felt like I had to be like more masculine I always felt like I had to be something else and like I was saying earlier it's not until I got into my mid-20s that I finally felt except felt, felt comfortable with being kind of more effeminate than the way I'm. I hate talking about um masculinity versus femininity but it's kind of true I was more comfortable with being the way I was and not being like, I had to be like in the gay community, this huge thing about being mask. You got to be mask for mask. And I was like, 
I won't date femboys. I won't even touch femboys. And I'm like, oh my God, that is, that is just internalized homophobia in so many ways. Mm. And, and that's something I've really had to process within myself, that kind of like self-hatred. So through going through having all those emotions, I always felt like throughout most of my life, I've adapted myself to other people in order to be accepted, to be, um, to feel like I had the most friends possible because I felt like that's what you needed. And I think as I've gone through my twenties and into my face, I've just realized, do you know what? That doesn't service me in Mm. the right way. That's not fostering the best friendships. I'm so lucky to have so many incredible best friends and friends around me who are like my allies, my teammates, my like do or dies. And I've realized that, in terms of building boundaries in order to protect those relationships and foster those relationships. Instead of trying to constantly be like, I need to have more friends in order to feel accepted because I think Mm. that's why I did it. I need to just nurture those. And I don't Mm. need to go off and split myself off in 600 ways or tolerate behavior and put up with behavior because I feel like I should and I need to, because I need to, I need to people please and I need to be accepted by these people. I don't need to do that anymore. And that's only something that I've, really learned in the last year and I think mm. it's coming out of lockdown where I had my own boundaries and you know people couldn't get at you in the same ways um and they couldn't make you feel certain ways in certain social situations I think that now I've realized that boundaries are the most important things you should have in friendships because boundaries make you a better friend respecting boundaries make you a better friend and boundaries means you can have a much more fulfilling friendship and it makes you realize what's a true friendship. Like a true friend isn't making you feel bad for no reason. A true friend shouldn't be someone who thinks they can pick you up and put you down whenever they fancy. A true friend isn't someone who can treat, talk to you badly and then expect you to literally come back the next day and you're the one who apologizes. That isn't what a true friend really is. Mm. So learning boundaries has become hand in hand with learning what definition of a friend is and I I have this friend called Holly who I'm obsessed with and she always gives the best piece of advice and she said to me I hope she won't mind me saying this I'm sure she won't but she's put her friends into tiers so she has tier one tier two tier three tier one is like the do or die like you will do anything for them so you will turn up for them at any given opportunity like you'll cancel plans if you need to you'll always be there for them because they know they'll do the same for you the tier twos the ones who are like wouldn't do that for you and you possibly wouldn't do that for them but you like spending time with them because mm-hmm. you know crack. yeah and then you've got the acquaintances who flip in and flip out and are they the ones you should really stress yourself out about seeing on a Wednesday night when you're really exhausted and you're like broke. No, so don't do it. Mm. And then that gives you a better, if you respect those kind of boundaries and those tears mm. that makes you more fulfilled. It makes you feel better about yourself. And that in, in turn makes you a better friend to the people who need you the most, right. Or mm. you want to spend the most time with. So I've been thinking about boundaries and friendships a lot. And I think also you change as you go through life. And I think one of the controversial things we never talk about is friend breakups. I talked about this a little oh. bit with Lydia Weston the podcast. No one talks about it. It's the most controversial thing to say you don't want to be someone's friend anymore. I don't think you need to sit them down and break up them like you do a boyfriend or something. But Honestly, it's that- true though, because it fizzles. Like that's the worst thing about friendship breakups is that nobody does sit down and tell you what you did wrong or where you could have done yeah. better or anything like that. Like any serious relationship you know you have those discussions and uh-huh. you like a good breakup at least unless you know it's horrible or whatever but yeah like I've had friendships end and they've affected me for years afterwards because I'm like I just don't understand what I did you know and it yeah, really exactly. affects then how you perceive your future friendships as well because then you get the people pleasing thing because it's like I don't want to go through that again I don't want to lose oh my more God. friends yeah man vicious. 1000% but it's interesting because in saying that, we're putting ourselves in the narrative where it could just be their issue, right? Well, yeah, most like, of the time could, it is, right? <laughs> or, yeah, or I have this thing where as long as you're a good person and you move through life positively and you treat people with respect, the way that people act to you will be 90% their energy. Mm-hmm. And it's true. Like, unless you've literally 
screamed at them, you've talked to them horribly, you've done something really bad. We know in ourselves what we've done wrong. Mm-hmm. But we allow we allow ourselves to have this energy of other people make us feel bad when actually you just need to be like, no, <laughs> that's you, that's not yeah. me. And like, why tear ourselves up about that? I've, I've learned that. I learned that in the last part of my 20s about that energy thing. And I'm just like, okay, then mm. if you're going to act like that, it's not about me. It's about you. Mm. And I think that as long as you're checking in with yourself and you have a good communication with yourself, then you know what you've done wrong. You know what you haven't done wrong. And I think that that gives you an extra tool to deal with. For sure. Friendships, relationships, uh, co-workers, anything in your life, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I think that's the same can be said for any form of rejection, you know, whether it's jobs or oh in a relationship, God, yeah. like it's never really about you. It's slightly about you, but it's because you're not the right fit for them. It's not because you're a terrible human being and you're not good or whatever. Like that's yeah, also, really hard to overcome. That's fine. Like you can't, get, what I've realized yeah. is you can't get on with everyone in life. Like I have always been so determined to make every single last person in that room like me. And it's like, if I see someone in a, if say like at a house party who I know doesn't like me, like I just have this feeling, even if it's just in my head, I'm like, I am going to make sure I win you over and I will work my ass off for it. And that's what I did all the way through my twenties and my teenage years. And even when I was probably at primary school, um, I've always had that. I've always wanted everyone to like me because I want to feel accepted. And now I'm just like, do you know what? If you don't like me, that's fine because I've obviously got people in my life I don't like. Not everyone has to like you. It's yeah. like it's, it's exhausting if you think that everyone in life needs to like you. So and true. that's not that's not then you go through life. That's it's, it's a bit of a contradictory piece of advice coming up here, but that's not like you just go through life being like, oh, they don't like me, who cares? Like mm. don't be a dick about it. <laughs> <laughs> as long as you're a nice person, yeah. and you try to be a nice person, then it, you know, you, you'll be fine. You can't go wrong. Yeah, no, I You can't I go wrong. Agree, yeah. And it's okay if someone decides that you don't fit into their lives anymore because there's times when people don't fit into your lives anymore and mm. it's not a big thing. It's not a dramatic thing. It's just evolution as a person, right? Mm, evolution as a person. Yeah, 100%. So circling back then to, I guess, your career, do you think that helped you step into this like new phase that you are, you know, more, more happy and more fulfilled? Cause you are so successful and, you know, you've interviewed some amazing people. And one thing I really relate to you is the fact that you've interviewed so many people and that's really helped you in your twenties because you do gain so much knowledge and advice. Do you think that your career has shaped you into who you are or do you kind of see it as a separate thing that you are adding to? Ooh. Yes and no, because I got into a really dangerous point in my life where I thought I was completely defined by who I was and what I did as a job. Oh, mate. And, yes. I, think, <laughs> and I think that's a really dangerous thing to get into because my idea of success and failure was so wrapped up in what I did for a job. And the rest of life kind of just slotted in around it and I've realized that the ultimate success now is contentment and being content in my life and being happy in my relationships my friendships everything else like that's a true success like the true success is how you make people feel it's how it's the conversations you have with someone it's not necessarily you know winning an award or um mm. or getting x number of downloads on the podcast episode like we were talking about and I think that's a conclusion I came to during lockdown when everything was taken away from me. And I remember talking to the actress Lucy Hale about this and she was like, she didn't know who she was in lockdown away because her whole career was taken away from her overnight. She was like, Oh my God, like, who am I? Who am I as a person? What do I stand for? And I think that we get so het up on defining ourselves, but what we do is a job where we should be trying to define ourselves as, you know, am I a good friend? Am I a good mm. person? And I think the problem is, is that we raise children in a society. Like when you go to school, the first thing I remember being asked was, what do you want to be when you grow up? Yeah. And you're always chasing this dream, right? And even when you interview actresses who are at the top of their field, they're still literally striving for more constantly. They're always looking for more and more and more and more and more. So if you go for your career, 
just always chasing some version of success that's external, then you're never going to find the success internally, Mm -hmm. which I think is where the true success comes from. But my career has taught me that. Mm. So in a way, my career has actually, whilst it's been detrimental to my personal happiness at times, it's also been the thing that's given me a lot of happiness and also taught me that lesson, right? Mm. Like, because without that career about meeting all these people, about learning all these amazing pieces of advice, I never would have got to that point. Mm. And I probably would be floundering around still trying to chase something. And I am so lucky, fortunate, privileged to sit down with amazing people week in, week out. Whether I was at Glamour, sometimes there's been team people like four or five times a week. And every single person I sat down with, I felt like I learned something more about myself, about society, about even just friendship, relationships, mental health, because every single person has a story in them. Every single person has a lesson in them. And every single person will have a piece of advice or something they've been through that you would never understand. Or you'd be like, oh my God, I can't ever imagine going through that. Or there'd be something you'd be like, oh my God, I went through that similar situation years ago. And you only get to that by having open eyes conversations. And I've only learned that through being an interviewer. Mm-hmm. I've only learned the value of listening I mean, I've talked a lot today, but like I've only learned the value of listening over talking through doing that job. Because Mm -hmm. if you have both your ears open, you'll learn something amazing. Mm -hmm. So my career has definitely made me feel more empowered in myself, but it's also taught me not to make it the be all and end all. Yeah. Because it will go at one day. I won't be doing this anymore. And that's, that's like, I mean, I'm saying this for the first time. That's okay. Like mm. something else will happen and I'll find fulfillment in something else. I mean, I hope I'm doing this until I'm like Larry King's age. I really <laughs> do. Because I only think... So do I. There's a thing about interviewing, isn't it? You, yeah. There's always someone else to meet. There's always someone yeah. else who's going to tell you something. There's always a new topic to be discussing. And human conversation is the thing that is my currency. Talking open honest conversation is my currency. It's the thing that gets me mm-hmm. most excited. It's the thing that if I'm feeling down, makes me feel happier. Mm-hmm. So it's interesting because my career is based around talking and listening, right? And that's the thing that makes me the happiest in my normal everyday life so it's very hard to separate the two mm. sometimes but I'm really glad you raised the uh, the fact that you know we shouldn't be defined by our jobs and when you were saying about when we're at school it's what do you want to be when you grow up I always like to say to my nephews it's like who do you want to be when you grow up you know do you want to be a kind and compassionate person do you want to be a loving person do you want to like what who who are you regardless of what you do and I think that's so so important yeah that's like why don't why don't we teach kids to have good morals why Mm. does it have to be what this career that you're going to have is going to be like Mm. because ultimately I had this epiphany because I saw my uncle retire and he had a very high profile position and my dad even retired and seeing them without their jobs and how so much of their identity was actually based around going to work and that job and, and then not having um, that kind of comfort blanket anymore and how then when they went into retirement, how it affected them. I was like, Oh my God, you need to make sure you're building all these other things around you in life because otherwise you'll get your career. We, everyone's career will stop at some point. Mm-hmm. It will whether you choose to or it's it's chosen for you. Mm-hmm. So you need to make sure you have this foundation that allows you to still feel content. Mm-hmm. And like, that was the biggest lesson is watching my uncle and my dad go through that. Cause I was like, your career isn't everything. It just isn't. Oh, George, this has been amazing. Okay, I really want to play this game before we have to wrap up. Um, so this is Millennial Minesweeper. I'm also so sorry that I've literally just blabbed. No, blabbed, oh blabbed, my God, you blabbed, haven't. Blabbed. It's, been, it's been so, <laughs> honestly, you were not blabbing at all. Everything you said, I was literally, you saw me nodding like a nodding donkey. Yeah. I was like, oh. <laughs> <laughs> oh my God, wonky donkey. Wonky <laughs> donkey. 
Simpler time space. Take me back to SMTV Live. Honestly, please, please. Um, so this is Millennial Minesweeper. It's a quotes and facts game where I basically just read out some things I've found um, or read and you just have to tell me whether you agree with them or not and share some of your thoughts. So. I thought for a second we were going to go to the club and start minesweeping <laughs> WKDs like back in the day when we didn't have any money. <laughs> I mean, if we want to do that too, we can go no, right now. That was a very dangerous <laughs> game. <laughs> WKD, what a throwback. Mine was always a smell of ice, to be fair. That was or my VK tickle. Cherry. Oh, VK. I love a VK Cherry. Three for Funny five good flavors. I know. Babes, bargain. Can't get that. Can't get that level of um, alcohol for that, that cheap these days. <laughs> Absolutely not. Oh, okay, so our first quote, which I think you'll really like this one. Okay, ready. Everywhere you go, there you are. Everywhere you go. Is it is it a famous quote? So it's I actually read this on the back of a toilet door on Fraser Island when I was traveling. It was like engraved into the wood. But I looked it up and it is like a really famous mindful meditation quote. Everywhere you go, oh, there you are. Yeah. I thought for a minute it was like some some sort of like really big movie and I was like, fuck. <laughs> I know all the quotes in the no. blog, it's not in that. Um, what does that mean to you? Everywhere you go, there you are. Oh God, this is so cheesy. I literally hate myself for saying this. That. <laughs> oh God, I hate I myself for saying for this. <laughs> Honestly, if you're single and you listen to this, feel free to send me hate mail. <laughs> but like, I feel like that sums up my relationship with my boyfriend because he's like home to me. And, oh. and I, God, I literally feel like I'm vomiting but he's like my portable home wherever I am and he's with me I feel like I'm at home it's fine I feel comfortable I feel happy Mm. and I feel um supported so yes I agree with that and I would bring that to mean in my relationship but also with most of my best friends actually as well like whenever Mm. I'm with them I feel like I'm at home Mm. oh I love that I love that take on it that's so good yeah for me it was like um everywhere you go there you are it's like we are all so focused on getting to places and doing different things but like wherever we go we're that person and we're still going to be wherever we are does that make sense so it doesn't matter what we do you always have yourself right you always have yourself yeah yourself you you are always your greatest ally and I know that I've talked about relationships and friendships but I wouldn't be in those friendships. I wouldn't have those. I wouldn't have the relationship in now if I wasn't my strongest ally, mm. right? Like mm. you still have to be that for yourself. Hundred percent. Yeah. Okay. Cool. Our next one is a um, fact taken from an article written in Time Magazine, which published in 2013. I wonder what you think of this. So. According to a study, the incidence of narcissistic personality disorder is nearly three times as high for people in their 20s as for the generation that's now 65 or older. Do I agree with that? Well, I mean, I mean, yeah. (laughs) Just what do you think of it? Does that surprise you? No, because I Mm. think that we are... Social media's turned us all into narcissists, right? We're all obsessed with our own self-image, even if we pretend you're not, you are, like... You're, you won't post every single picture of yourself, will you? You're always like putting out some sort of authored or curated version of yourself into society. Um, so, yeah, I would agree with that, which is really quite depressing. It's so sad, isn't it? It is sad. But I think everyone, to some point, is a narcissist. I do believe <laughs> yeah. this. I think that everyone, at some point there is a percentage in someone where you are going to have narcissistic tendencies, where you're going to yeah. want to put yourself first. You're going to want to do things to do for that, yourself. Right? Yeah, yeah exactly. and it's to, Self-care is actually, self-care is a form of narcissism, right? Like you have to look mm. after yourself. Controversial mm. comment. So controversial. But I kind of <laughs> love it. No, I do agree. And I've met narcissists before and I'm just like, there is no way that a lot I think there's a difference between having narcissistic traits and being a narcissist. Um, oh, 1,000%. Yeah. 1,000%. So but like, I'm not saying self-care is narcissistic, but it is... No, no, it, no, no, no. But it's an element, like, if, if how do you define a narcissist is by always just being so self-involved and self-obsessed and always talking about yourself or and your mm. whole the whole world revolves around you. Mm. Is that 
we need to take time out to make sure the revolve world revolves around us for even mm-hmm. like five minutes of the day just to check in with yourself make sure you're okay is that narcissistic by definition possibly a little bit but you need to do it everyone's yeah, a little yeah. bit narcissistic to a level and you need to look after yourself for sure so yes i would agree with that statement mm, mm, nice okay and our final one is to be without some of the things you want is an indispensable part of happiness i'm gonna say that again babe to be without some of the things that you want is an indispensable part of happiness. I totally agree. Mm. I love that you one. Le- you have to learn to be apart from, you have to learn to let go of things and live your life without certain things because otherwise you'll never will be happy, right? Mm. Yeah. If you're always looking out for something else, then you never will be happy. So you need to learn how to live a life happiness whilst also not having everything you desire or need at any given opportunity right for sure and i think we all have this view of happiness it's like oh when everything aligns in my life and when this thing is going right and this thing and this thing and then i'll be happy and it's like actually when you acknowledge the things in your life that maybe aren't going so well and you can still be happy that's amazing right like that's an amazing feeling yeah and like, yeah, that's an amazing feeling. I had this great piece of that. This is literally going to make me sound like I'm definitely hitting with loads. So I'm definitely putting the two into 32 because I now listen to Radio 2 all the time. I love it. I listen to it all day, every day. And um, Zoe Ball has this thing in the mornings. <laughs> it's called Pause for Four. Aww. So she has someone come on and they talk like, they say like, read out like a quick little essay. And they said this quote i was like oh my god that's amazing it's like i love you even when it's inconvenient so sometimes it's inconvenient to love yourself and sometimes it's inconvenient to love other people but you need to keep loving yourself and loving other people even when it's inconvenient right Mm. and like that kind of quote kind of builds it in isn't it it's like you're not always going to have everything you need in that place that person's not always going to be satisfying you in the right way you're not always going to be satisfying yourself in the right way but god that sounds like a masturbation um (laughs) quote (laughs) But you're not always going to have that positive relationship hey, with yourself. that so. always doesn't happen either. So, you know, yeah. it works so you, on various levels. You can't live life thinking you always need something else or you need to be a slightly different person to be happy. You've got to love yourself and love other people even when it's inconvenient. And I was like, I, that's a quote that I then basically turned into like this great thing that tied into that. I was just like, oh my God, yeah, that really got me. So, so yeah. true, so true. Oh, yeah. Josh, thank you so much for coming on the podcast. It's honestly been so amazing to talk to you and you've been so real and raw. So thank you. Oh, honestly, it's been great talking to you. It's so weird being on the other side. <laughs> I bet, I bet. But you're a natural. I literally hate, I had to go on a podcast the other day and I was like, I can't, I, can't, I had to keep like ref- deflecting the question. I was like, well, what do you think? <laughs> I'm so bad oh, yeah. at it. I was like, do, do I, do I like, I was like, oh my God, I need to know more about you. And then I was like, maybe I'll come on and interview you and we'll do it the other way around. Okay. It sounds good. No, thank yeah. you. And I hope it's been a good like reflection time, especially as you're like, oh my God. early thirties. And Well, babe, once I've got my life packed up around me, reflecting on your life is quite like, <laughs> it's quite like a big thing. Isn't it? You're like, Whoa. you can literally see every box like compartmentalized. Like, oh yeah. I yeah. It's like, <laughs> there's my life there's my life there's my life i'm talking about my life putting into boxes but yeah it's actually really helped thinking about it you know and it's quite Aww. a good turning point in my life so thank you for making me get introspective <laughs> you're so welcome thank you for coming on